season two of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Hope M. was recorded on August 31st, 2023. Thanks for uh, inviting me. I had done this uh, last November on 2022, and that was lots of fun. And um, I actually listened to myself, so I wouldn't repeat too much. <laughs> so I was like, that was like, oh, okay. And I took notes because I'm a little nervous. And then I'm seeing all you guys. Um, this is a pretty big Zoom meeting for me. So I'm happy you're all here and thank you. All right. So um, experience, strength, and hope. I like to, in my former chair, I gave a lot of um, information experience of, of my family of dysfunction. And um, I'll touch on that again, just to give people a baseline. But I do want to talk about my experience in ACA more so because that is what um, has helped me. Um, you know, my family of origin on how I grew up, it created, you know, the problems. And but ACA is really where I started getting solutions to the problems. So um, my experience is that I grew up as a middle child um, to a mentally ill mother who had a lot of um, ACA issues, mental health issues, and probably trauma issues too. She had a really rough life of it. And there's a lot of missing information that I don't know about her life. I found out after she had passed and in drips and drabs, but from all, all I can tell, it was a really not an easy life for her. And, um, she passed away at age 66, which I think is really quite young for someone to pass. And, um, that is not all that uncommon in my family to have um, family members pass at an early age. And um, <clears throat> um, I'm in the medical field. So, you know, I, I'm interested in how trauma affects the body and the lifestyle and all that kind of stuff. And it falls in line with the ACE scores. If you guys know what those are, the uh, adverse childhood events, the more ACE ACEs you have, the more short your life is going to be. And that's a really scary thing. And I want to be really old. You know, I want to be a healthy old. I want to be, you know, I want to see all my stuff in my life and have a full life. And um, and when they talk about the ACE scores and the adverse effects that it has on an adult life, it's not um, a final say. We can do stuff to turn that around. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, and ACA recovery is, is one of the things that we can do, that I can do. And um, so because of my mother's unstableness and because of her issues, um, my life growing up as a child had a lot of unstableness. I moved around a lot. Um, there was a lot of scary situations, which I wasn't protected. Um, my, um, I had a older sister that was um, had mental health issues. I had a younger brother that had mental health issues. My mother had mental health issues. Only by the grace of God, I don't have mental health issues. I just have the issues of being around them and being raised by them, you know. And one of those issues was being really super out of touch with my emotions. Um, emotions were not something safe 
to have. They were super scary. If you were sad, you were suicidal. And if you were happy, you were manic, you know, and it's just like there was no in between and it was just super unsafe. Um, it was also unsafe for me to talk, um, to express myself, to be seen. Um, my brother and sister had rage issues and so did my mother. You know, I, I never really thought about it too much until recently, but she had rage, rages also. And so if you could um, be not seen, then you were safer. And I was out of the, out of the kids, I was safer. Um, in some regards, um, a lot of my abuse happened through neglect. There were um, some, some direct stuff, but a lot of it happened with what wasn't provided. And um, just that sort of no one around to, to go to, no one to keep me safe. And I was put in unsafe situations by my parents too, which made it um, difficult to judge. So safe to say I came out of that situation with all 12 laundry list traits. Um, they're well embedded. And I ran my life um, according to those laundry list traits. I mean, it was well played out. I'm, an, I'm almost 50 now and, you know, all the relationships, all, all the things. Um, I made a lot of decisions based on codependency and people pleasing and the fear of abandonment. You know, I don't want you to abandon me, so I'm going to agree to whatever you what you say. And um, so, yeah, that, that was all really super yucky stuff. So when I got into um, ACA, then um, I came by way of Al-Anon, found ACA meetings and started, um, and I stayed. I was used to 12-step um, meetings and programs, work because I wasn't Al-Anon for five years. So I think of that as like pre-K for me, like it gave me the primer to sit still in a meeting, you know, <laughs> it's like it taught me enough to behave and to shut up and listen. And so I did. And ACA though was really, um, they say the higher power gave us the 12 steps. And I do believe that is true. I do believe that it was like divine intervention. And I don't know why it happened then other than I was receptive. You know, it's sort of like turning into that radio station that you never really heard before. But then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, where'd, where'd this come out of? Where this? Where was this? And it was there the whole time. I just didn't know it. Um, and so coming into ACA um, was difficult. And, um, but also very much needed. So it's like the hard work. And um, in my first couple of years of recovery, I was kind of bitter about it. I was just like, what, you know, why am I the one having to do all this stuff? You know, they had the opportunity. ACA was around my brother, my sister, they could have done it. My mother could have done it, but she wasn't that much older than me. You know, um, she could have gotten some recovery there. And there's only one little sentence in the big red book that explains it. And it says that, you're the one who wants the spiritual solution. So you're going to be the one doing the spiritual work, period. It's like, I want it, so I'm going to have to work for it. And not in a punitive way, but truthfully, my brother, my sister, and my mother, they weren't capable of it. You know, it, the expectation that they would do this type of work was beyond them. They had a rough time just getting through the day, much less trying to do this really um intensive, I find it intensive, intensive, invasive, you know, um, disturbing 
you know, reflective work. And, um, you know, they had a hard time <clears throat> um, just living day to day. This was beyond them. And that's saying that kindly without um, the grudge. And because I get to do this work and I get the spiritual solution, I also get the benefits of it, which is the promises. So that's, I feel guilty about that. It's like, well, why can't they have this? You know, and that's not my business. My business is me. And, um, and so I can love them from a distance, from a very safe distance. Doesn't mean I have to have a relationship with them. Doesn't mean they have to be involved in my life. It means that I can love them and that's my choice. And I can do it from afar and in a safe way for me. Um, my experience in ACA has been um, beyond what um, I could ever hope for. When I, there was a question in one of the workbooks that says, when you came to ACA, what do you expect? And as I expected my time to be taken up with a meeting and I'd sit there and I'd, you know, make a few, you know, friends. I'm like, hey, okay. You know, and I have some people to commiserate with and ponder a couple questions. And, you know, I thought that my experience was going to be pretty much the same as Al-Anon. Al-Anon, I tried to work the steps. I had a really hard time when it came to four step because I couldn't understand where my end of it was. As an ACA, I'm like, how am I responsible for all this? What harm have I done? Because I was, I was the victim, you know? So how could I have caused any harm to anyone? And it's like, I did. Not meaning to, but I did. And, um, and I can see that now working through the 12 steps of ACA, that unintentionally I repeated the harms that were repeat, put on to me and the harms to myself too. I basically took over my parents' job. However, they were treating me as a kid. I took that on and started treating myself the same way, you know? So it's like, I just carried it on. And, you know, I thought that it was going to be different. I thought I was going to be better. And when I say, I'm like, was that much better? I was that much better with my kids. And the only reason I was that much better was because I wasn't inflicted with a, a big mental illness that was messing me up, but that much better. When um, I got into ACA, I feel like I'm, I'm that much better. You know, it's like I got a little bit more, but not, you know, it's not, it's never was a competition. It's a healing, you know, and, um, you know, one of the fears was that my kids wouldn't feel that I loved them. But another real fear that drove me into ACA was that in my family, there was generational estrangement. My mother was estranged from her mother. Her mother was estranged from her mother. I was estranged from my mother. Well, here I see my daughters growing up. Guess where they're going to go? They're going to go away from me and they're going to be estranged from me. You know, my heart's going to be breaking. So I came into ACA for a very selfish reason. I wanted to learn how to have an adult relationship with my children that I love dearly without driving them away. You know, I, I, I don't know how to maintain connection to you. So I need help. And what I've learned in ACA is that as children, we are looking to connect. We're just big sponges. Our eyeballs are huge. Our heads are huge. You know, we are just made to absorb, you know, and 
either we get that absorption directly by lessons taught directly to us, or we do it by eavesdropping and overhearing what the adults are worried and concerned about, or we do it because someone says, well, hey, this is what love is. You, should, you know, I'm paying attention to you. This is how it feels as I slap you. You know, I mean, we just take it all in and we have no defenses at all. We are just like wide open, you know? And um, that's to our benefit when we were learning the good stuff, but it's not to our benefit. We're not learning such good stuff. When we take on our parents' worries, we take on their beliefs, we take on whatever their issues are, you know, it's my fault. And um, it's a lot of undoing. It's a lot of unlearning in ACA. And sometimes it feels very, very overwhelming. And um, I have a lot of beliefs that I have to challenge daily. And I have to look at them and uncover them because they're sneaky because this um, alcoholism and dysfunctional families is insidious. It's getting to every little corner of my life. Luckily, recovery and higher power can get into the same corners. So I got like this really detailed little vacuum that gets into that corner, goes, you know, let me look at that. You know, and I spit shine it, you know, dust it off and look to see, do I need to keep this? Can I adjust it? Can I clean it up some way? Or do I have to just get rid of it? And some of it, I honestly just have to get rid of it. It's like, that was bullshit, unfair, out you go. Other things are like, all right, well, this kind of really helped me. I kind of like it in some ways. Maybe I need to adjust it a little bit. Um, and this is where taking character um, defects, which I also like to call defenses because I needed them as a kid. So like my secret keeping, you know, of not telling people what was going on, not very good as a kid, not so great as an adult when I don't tell people how I feel or think or my opinions, but really good for confidentiality. I'm a trusted friend. You can tell me anything. I'll take it to the grave. You know, so how do I adjust that? You know, I, I clean it up to make it right size for an adult, you know. Um, and so I have to look at my beliefs, but I also have to look at the definitions of things. Um, and I, this is what I've been working on lately is thinking about how do I uncover these beliefs, you know, because I really don't know I have the beliefs until it becomes a problem, until somebody steps all over something and pisses me off or hurts my feelings or, you know, something happens where I'm like, oh, my God, why am I react reacting to this? And I'm not just talking about triggers. I'm talking about um, had a discussion with um, an ACA. We're talking about um, volunteering, you know, and she was telling me what she thought about volunteering. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Cause when I think about volunteering, I think about, well, there's one more thing I got to do. There's something more on my plate somewhere else. Somebody wants me to do something, you know, and I'm going to get roped in. I'm not going to ever get out of it. Cause I can't say no, you know, and just like, I go down this rabbit hole of how I'm going to be so victimized by volunteering, which is like, wait a second, volunteering is a really good thing. And volunteering really helps other people. And I really want to do volunteering, but I'm such a people pleaser that I know I'm going to get trapped. And, but um, my friend, my ACA friend, her stream of thought was something totally different. Hers was about, well, I'm going to have to be perfect. I'm going to have to learn something about it. I'm going to have to make sure I don't fuck it up, uh, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, wow, that's a lot of definitions, a lot of different definitions of volunteering. So how is that definition holding me back? How is that definition not right size to a healthy adult life? 
you know, a healthy adult life says volunteering is good. It's good if you have the energy and time for it. Perhaps it's good when people are retired, when they don't have a job, um, maybe some scheduled boundary volunteering would be a good thing once a month, twice a month, you know, something small, but you know, good. I don't know. I'm just, you know, the big definitions that I had to look at were family, love, mother, you know, I'm a mother. I love my kids. Couldn't stand the mom, you know, I was secretly thrilled when my kids got to be uh, preteens and they liked Korean pop bands. And I get called, instead of calling mom, I get called Uma, which is the Korean for mom, you know? And I'm like, awesome. You know, I like it. Um, and so I wanted to read just a little bit. Um, and this falls into definition. This is a little daily reader called Letting God. And I just want to read this because I thought it was really good. Okay. And it has to fall in with definitions. In The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy expresses our common desire when she closes her eyes and repeats, there's no place like home, there's no place like home. The power of going home is enormous. The daily crush and anxiety in the rush hour traffic heading home is always more intense than it is in the traffic going to work. Work is work, home is home. Home is better or should be. Some homes are not real homes. Some places of work feel more like home than where we live with our families. Yet we know that home is where we really should dwell, be at ease, feel relaxed. It is where we belong. We know that even in the best jobs can't take the place of the best home. Where we belong, where we are taken in, accepted and included, that is the place of home. Okay. So that's, that's a nice, that's what everybody wants from home, right? That's not my definition or wasn't my definition, right? So... I had to work on that. You know, I had to be like, all right, that was the reality. The reality was that my home was not the safe place. I spent a lot of time away from my home as soon as I had enough um, legs on me, you know, around age 11, 12, 13 to walk anywhere. And, um, and I had to think about, you know, what does a home mean for me? And, <clears throat> And home now, because of my recovery and because of my higher power, my home is within me, which means I get to have the same level of comfort no matter where I go, because I have created this sanctuary that I'm okay with me. I can protect me. I am safe with myself. I trust myself and I can ask for help. And I am um, resourceful and problem solving, and I can be honest. And I can, um, ACA has taught me to use to it when um, having people around me. So I can tell better who is safe for me to be, trust and be with and who is not. And I'm, I'm a hard, hard case to trust. I don't, you know, how they always say, oh, I don't trust you as far as I can throw you. It's like, I'm not even going to try to pick you up because I don't want to trust you and I don't want to, I don't want to go there with you. But in order to connect with other people, I have to trust them and trusting them doesn't mean for me that they are going to do what I want them to do all the time. Trusting me is that they are going to take care of themselves 
so that they're safe for me to be with. And if they need help, they're going to tell me. And if the job's too big, they're going to ask for my help. And if they don't like something I'm doing, they're going to tell me in a kind, nice way, not in a sarcastic way or not in a way that I got to try to figure it out. Tell me directly so I can know. And if I can trust those who I love to take care of themselves and I'm doing the best to take care of myself, that's when we can come into an interdependent relationship, you know, not that codependent where I'm taking care of you and not that super independent where I'm so independent that I don't need nobody or nothing, you know, um, either ways are extremes and either way leaves me alone. You know, it leaves me unconnected. If I'm codependent with somebody, then I'm chasing them around, trying to love on them. And if I'm so independent, I'm trying to run away from them because I'm trying to make sure they don't love on me, you know? So either way, I'm, you know, stuck in that abandonment cycle. And it's hard, you know, asking for help is, is a trustful act. And um, I have to really push against, push against my, um, my distrust of people and my distrust that I'm not going to get help, you know, that, you know, I'm going to ask you to do something. You're not going to be able to do it, or I'm going to ask you to do something and you're going to take a mile, you know, of, of, uh, liberties with me, you know, and, um, and I have to be honest too, like, oh, that's so hard being honest. I'd rather just duck. <laughs> I'd be like, no, not a problem. Okay. Um, the biggest, I get called out all the time. Like, how you doing? I'm okay. He's like, well, wait a second. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. All the time. Okay. You know? And they're like, well, wait a second. You, you answer that too quickly. And sometimes it is honest. I'm okay. You know, but more honestly, it's, uh, I'm just out of touch. I'm just out of touch with what's really going on. You know, I'm on that automatic, um, you know, and nothing, nothing is touching me. And if nothing's touching me, then I'm kind of disassociated and kind of out of it. And, um, and so there's, there's, uh, I got a lot of room. There's a lot of room for improvement. Um, I wrote some notes here. I, I try to stay connected with myself. I do a lot of self-care to try to keep myself in good stead. You know, I use the Hulk. Uh, acronyms, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I like the S on the end for serious. If I get too serious, then I'm in the shit, you know? So try not to get so serious. Um, I got a little humor under my belt, so I'm happy for that. Oh, I wanted to bring up this, right? So I live on, you know, I live in a world, another ACA friends calls the world, like the, the free roaming ACAs, you know, the ACAs that aren't in recovery, they're just everywhere. And man, they, they like to push my buttons and I call it my golden, golden ticket and invitation to enter back into dysfunction, whether it be gossip or drama or feeling somebody's giving me criticism or boundary violators. My boss is one of them, you know, that those are my golden opportunities to enter back into dysfunction. And I was thinking about it more. And it's like, that's true. I could, I could go back into dysfunction and I can say no to that. But the, like the other side of that ticket is, is the golden ticket 
invitation to apply recovery. And um, like I just drove my daughter back to college, which is always such a tense time. It's so anxiety filled. She has to meet new people and start new classes and new routines. And she's like, ah, you know, freaking out. And, you know, I want her to pack up and I don't want her to forget anything because I don't want to drive back to the college five times because she got the charger and she forgot her shampoo and she forgot this and she forgot that. I don't want to do it. I don't want her packed up, gone, settled, have everything you're okay, you know? And, um, and so we got a little snippy at each other, you know, cause I'm like trying to push her and she's having a meltdown and, you know, it's hot and everything like that. And I snap at her. I'm like, can't you do anything without my attention for two seconds? Uh, you know, and within five minutes, I was able to say, listen, I'm sorry. I snapped at you. I didn't mean that. Hot. I'm tired. I'm trying to do this thing. I know you need help. Can you just give me five minutes and I'll be able to help you? I love you. And I'm sorry. And she said to me, I accept your apology and I understand. And yeah, I'm nervous and it's hard. I'm like, okay, well, let's just breathe and we'll get through it. And she said, okay. So that was back at the house. And then up at this college, she's snapping at me, right? And I said, listen, you're anxious, you're stressed. And when you do that, you get super negative and it's really hard for me to take. And I'm here. We already did all the hard stuff. We already moved all your stuff in the apartment. You're already done just you know and she's like okay i'm sorry yes yes it's all the hard stuff is done and so we were able to have this conversation about how we were really feeling not hold a grudge not leave the campus all pissed off because i've done that you know and been like thank god you know she's you know gone for a semester and and do the repair. And that's something we were missing as kids. I was missing. We would have these ruptures. We'd have these big blowout fights. No one would even talk about it, that it even happened. And so you're all like fucked up for like a week, a month, a year, you know, and no one's like acknowledging that it happened. And there was no, wow, that was really stressful. Wow, that was really hard. I really love you. Sorry that happened. I'm under a lot of stress. No excuse, no excuse for my behavior. But, you know, I do love you and I'm sorry that happened. That's the repair. Rupture, repair, rupture, repair. That's going to happen in all relationships I learned. I thought it was just for dysfunctional relationships, but no, it happens in all relationships. And healthy relationships can do the repair so it doesn't take away from the relationships, love and trust and sanctuary and all that stuff that relationships can give you. I didn't know that. I thought that um, goodbyes, you had to burn the bridge, do it with a big dramatic, you know, ness and just like blow it all up and say, fuck you, fuck you. And, you know, the cops drag one of us away. You know, I thought that's how it went. And I thought that's how you ended relationships. And, you know, the stuff got thrown on the front yard and hey, you know, that's that's how it goes. And that's not that's not how it has to go. You can exit relationships gracefully. You can say, you know what, this isn't working for me anymore. And I think things have changed. And I think we're going apart. And I think we need to say goodbye or take a time off or whatever. One of the things I didn't expect in ACA um, recovery is how my relationships have would have changed. I have a lot of, um, I don't want to say a lot of friendships, but I have a, a good handful of very long-term friendships. And now um, I've been in ACA recovery for about eight years and Al-Anon before then. And those long-term relationships are changing. And what I have 
been experiencing is that those relationships were based on and started when I was much younger and not in recovery. So just like when I stopped drinking, my relationships had to change because I could no longer hang out with my drinking buddies. When my dysfunction changes, you know, when I'm not so dysfunctional, my relationships with those friendships that are kind of still dysfunctional, that are still in miserable relationships or codependent relationships that still have some kind of um, drug addiction or something funky going on with their, with their mental health that they're not addressing, that they're not trying to work on, those relationships are sort of um, weaning themselves out. And it makes me really sad because I really love these people and I don't want to say goodbye to them. And maybe the relationship will change and, you know, look them around or whatever, but it's just not the same. And I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that um, these people who I love I wouldn't have in my life because I've changed so much. And I do really believe I've changed so much. Um, what's also changing for me is how I work and how I live. I live a much slower pace than I ever have, which I'm like, what is that about? And I try not to think it's just old age. I think I'm like, no, no, it's just serenity. It's okay. You're still young, you know? So, but, you know, my kids are grown, which gives me more time. My work is more manageable because I'm more boundaried with it. I don't say yes to all after hour phone calls. I don't work on the weekends. I don't do the crazy stuff that my boss does. I actually blocked my boss off my personal phone because she was just like such a boundary breaker. It's like texting me at nine o'clock at night for some bullshit that I already answered about six hours earlier. So it's like lock. And that was scary. That's my boss. That's my authority, right? I'm like, fire me. I'll sit on the beach for six weeks collecting workman's comp. It's fine. And I'll find another job too. I'm okay. Thanks. So, um, so that's changing and I'm almost like uncomfortable with it. Like it's kind of boring and I don't know what to do with myself. And I'm kind of like, sort of like little Angie, little antsy, want to get back into something, doing something exciting, doing something, you know? And I'm like, well, wait a second. That's that wasn't good before, you know? And so there was another reading in the daily affirmations that talks about getting used to the peace of solitude and quiet, that I don't always have to have the radio on or don't always have to have the TV blaring. I don't always have to have that phone ringing and talking to somebody. I don't always have to have, you know, the recovery podcast on, or, you know, I, I can be unscheduled and relaxation. I can try to sit. And I've always had such a hard time, always had such a hard time sitting, you know, um, I don't shake anymore, you know, which is good, but I do feel like there's like this nervous system that I'm, so I'm kind of equating it back to addicted to excitement. Like there's this adrenaline cortisol thing in my body that hasn't yet calmed down you know, and I got to work on adjusting to it. I think I used to drive um, manuals back when, you know, back when those were a thing. And, and so you want to slow down and you weren't slowing down fast enough and st you step on the brake and you downshift, right? And the car lunges and it jerks. And that's how I feel my life is. It's downshifting. It's slowing down. 
but not stopping. And it's not in a stalling way. It's in a rest way. You know, I think about um, growth, you know, and evolution and rebirth, those kind of big changes, transformations, metamorphosis sort of stuff that happens in life. Those take a lot of energy. Going to meeting, doing step work takes a lot of energy. Doing the loving parent book takes a lot of energy. I'm still struggling with that. I was complaining about that last year when I was on the speaker meeting. I'm still struggling with that. I'm going to bring it to my therapist and have her help me through it because I just can't. It's just not clicking for me. And I want it to. But all those sort of things that I'm putting energy in, they take a lot of energy. It's not like this. I'm doing this in my spare time, which this is my work. So it's not my spare time. This is my personal spiritual work. So this is this is where my real focus is, is healing up my life and feeling better and becoming authentic. So when I'm in rest, when I'm not doing the big transformations, that's when I'm recouping and recovering and healing and reflecting and gathering the strength for the next for the next thing that's going to be the challenging thing, whether it's in recovery work or life or health or whatever. And I like this idea that life and its dramas and traumas and recoveries and transformations are sort of this wave. You know, we talk about waves for emotions, but also waves for times in my life. I'm going to have times of lots of excitement, lots of stuff going on, lots of energy, lots of lots of lots of lots of stuff and then i'm going to have the times in between where it's going to mellow out and that's natural the wax and wane of life and events and energy is natural i go through i wake up in the day i have a high energy i'm going 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 and dip down a little bit at four o'clock you know and then i pick up at dinner and then go and go go for a couple more hours and then i go to sleep and i rest and it's essential that i rest so i can do it again tomorrow the next day you know and so um, it's not stagnant. I'm not going to do recovery and keep it at that level. It's going to wane. It's going to dip. It's going to flow. It's going to be great. Some days I go to a meeting and everything's clicking. I hear the things I need to hear. And the next time I go to a meeting, it's going to be everybody's acting like jerks and they're nobody's listening and everybody's cross-talking and they're interrupting each other and it's pissing me off and I got to go, you know? So it's going to wax and wane and I can accept it because I know it's going to change. It's going to change. You don't like it. Don't worry. It's going to change. You like it. Don't worry. It's going to change no matter what it's going to change. And I get to change along with it too. I get to really look at my stuff and see how I'm coping or not coping and adjust myself. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the hope part. Um, I want to talk about the things that have really helped me in program. Um, 12-step work has been really, really helpful. Um, I said it before and I'll say it again. Before you get into step work, I like to do chapter eight and chapter 15 first. They're helpful, helpful, helpful in understanding how to be kind and gentle to yourself. Um, step work was really helpful to me in that it convinced me that I wasn't alone and it also um, really um, unveiled where 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 the problem started, how did it start, what my part was in it, why I was behaving and doing the jerky stuff that I was doing. You know, it just was like connect, 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 connect. And then there's like this dotted picture of me. You know, here I am, you know, all these things made made this possible. 
And, um, and that's, there's a lot of good in that, but there's also some things that are hard to, to take with that. Um, I also like um, pausing before I react because I want to react. That's, I can't help that the first thing I think it's going to be there. The first thing, you know, is stupid stuff. We're walking around the farmer's market. They're walking away with the dog. I'm like, hey, you ditching me? You know, it's like, it's like, what are you going? You know, the first thing in my mind is you're, you're, you're leaving. You're just walking away. You're not even going to take me into consideration, you know? Um, and that's, that's where, you know, that's where I go. Um, but I can pause myself and go, wait a second. That's really not the truth, you know? And um, I have to have some humor about it because I am a grown ass adult at times acting like a kid, you know? And, um, and that's just the reality of it. Um, I get to place internal boundaries on my behavior and what I say and do, which I think is super important. So I always think about when we first hear about, or at least when I first hear about boundaries, I thought it was about everybody else and saying no to everybody else and keeping everybody else in their place. And you stand there and you stand there and don't do that. And, you know, all that kind of stuff, but really um, boundaries, for me now are my own boundaries of what I will put up with and the time and energy I will put into the situation and what I will do and won't do have less to do with you. I'll tell you my boundary, you know, but if I don't enforce it, it's just wishful thinking, you know, it's like, Oh, I wish you wouldn't call me names. Oh, isn't that sad? I wish you would be nice to me. Oh, no, the, the boundary and keeping the boundary is like, Oh, I'm, I really don't like when you call me names. Um, I wish you were nice. Please be nicer to me when you speak with me. And they continue to call me names or they say, okay, yeah, I understand. And the next time I meet up, they're calling me names again. Not being nice. Not that this happens because I deal with people in recovery for the most part, <laughs> but you know, there's some. Anyway, um, the maintenance of that boundary is my job. So my job is like, I told you once, I don't like you talking to me that way. And now I'm going to leave. And now I'm not going to talk to you or now I'm not going to give you access to me. You know, like now we're only going to um, exchange emails because you can't control your mouth. You know, so it's like I get to set the distance and I don't have to do it in a um, punitive way. I just have to understand that this is for my protection and that um, it's not your job to maintain my boundary. It's my job to maintain my boundary and to figure out what my boundaries are and to also um, adjust them as needed, you know? Um, and I can be a little gentle with myself too when my I don't keep my boundaries, you know, as healthy as I want, I can adjust them at any time. So I might say, well, I said I wasn't going to go here, but I, here I am, you know, and um, I don't know. I just, I use a lot of gentleness in how I talk to myself because um, I need it. I need it. I want, I want love and softness. And when I think about all the things I missed from a loving parent, I really had to think about, once again, going back to definitions, what is, what would be a loving parent for me? You know, a loving parent is somebody who's uber sweet, uber gentle, uber soft, you know, just sweet. You know, I want sweet relationships. I want sweetness in my life. You know, I want gushiness. You know, I want when I walk in the room, somebody to smile, you know, 
and see that I walked into the fucking room. You know, it's like, I want that, you know? And they used to say, well, you take crumbs. And it's like, I want the whole cookie. I want the whole best cookie. I want the biggest cookie you got in the shop. You know, I want it all. And not because I deserve it any more than you, but I can have my whole cookie and you can have your whole cookie too. And that's called the win-win situation and everybody's happy for it, you know? And that's what I want. And that's what I want to bring into relationships. So it's important that I keep myself healthy with recovery work because I'll backslide in the moment. I'll get back into feeling victimized. I had it. I had that um, situation not so long ago. I had a friend staying for a week. She was traveling to France. She's staying with me before traveling to the airport. And, and I got my partner. She's laid up after her surgery. And then I had my kid who's on the, um, she has special needs. So she was on her visit from the weekend and I'm doing and cooking and cleaning and good doing and cooking and cleaning and doing and cooking and cleaning. I'm like, this is fucking bullshit. I am tired. You know, I am tired. I got this one who's not picking up after herself. I got this one crippled temporarily. <laughs> I got this one, you know, she has autism, so she can't do stuff because, you know, she don't want to be upset. And it's just like, I got into a really bad place. Um, the difference is that I shared it. I didn't stay in it. And I went swimming and I fixed myself, you know, so that's the difference. In the past, I couldn't fix myself. I couldn't adjust myself at all. I just stayed in the misery. And then I was like, you all suck. You can't love me. You can't help me. You don't understand me. You, you are so horrible to me. And it's like, and I was participating in it. Well, I got my, my five minute warning and I can't believe I talked that much and I hope it made some sense and that it wasn't too rambly. Um, what I do want to say in gratitude is that I am greatly indebted to ACA so, so, so much. Um, without ACA, I wouldn't even know that there was another way to live and I'd be stuck in that bullshit memory and misery and don't want to be there, don't want to live there. And I get to make the choice every single day to get out of there. Um, I get invitations all the time from my past to come on back, you know, and it's hard because I want to have, I want to have those relationships, but and I say straight up and they do some bullshit that scares me. And I'm like, this is, this is exactly what I try to get away from. This is exactly the kind of stuff that I cannot tolerate. And I'm sorry. And I love you, but I'm going to love you from afar, you know, and they go away after they figure that I can't help them or I can't save them or I can't do whatever bullshit they want me to do. They go away. I don't even have to try that hard to ex, ex to you know to see them out. They they just leave once they're not getting their dysfunctional kick out of me. I I become boring, you know. I'll take my boring life. My boring life is great. I want it, you know. It gives me time. It gives me energy, and I sleep well at night. And I thank ACA and my higher power for that. I thank all my friends. I thank my partner. I thank my kids. I thank everybody who loves on me. And um, I keep my gratitude high because that's where I need to be. So thank you so much, Gretchen and, and everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.